I read from your Bible, Judges chapter 8. And I hope today, maybe, to be able to deal with only one verse. Verse 4. Gideon, as you know, is in the pursuit of the enemies of God after the great victory that was wrought on the night before and many, many thousands of Midianites were slain. And he is in now pursuit of those that had escaped. And we take this word from verse 4. And Gideon came to Jordan and passed over he and the 300 men that were with him. Faint, faint, yet pursuing them. Faint yet pursuing them. Turn with me in your hymn book, please, and stand again with me. We sing together number 785. Eternal Savior, God of love, abused, insulted friend, oh, from thy lofty throne above, thy saving mercy send. Here lies my naked, guilty heart, before thy piercing eye To me thy healing touch impart Oh, reach me for I die All that my future life shall know Of love and joy and light shall burn for thee and shine and glow by thine effectual mind. Thus to thy claim my trembling soul her sweet submission brings and thus while taking ages roll shall rest beneath thy wings. Amen. Thank you. Be seated. As we take up again this morning our pursuit of the records of Israel's judges, we've come now to this 
fourth verse of chapter 8. And we look again for the lessons that our Lord has set for us in the pages of these ancient histories. We have seen the enemies of Israel and of God set upon by the hand of God himself in chapter 7. And thousands of these Midianite hordes were destroyed by their own hands. But we find in the record that some 15,000 of them managed to escape the general slaughter and took to their heels across the Jordan in hopes of a final deliverance. Then it is that we find in chapter 8, Gideon and his 300 faithful men in pursuit of these escapees. But then, you recall they were, in verse 1 through 3, they were intercepted by these sons of Ephraim. It is, of course, debated among scholars whether that encounter with the sons of Ephraim took place, that is, whether they intercepted Gideon on this side of Jordan, the side from the battle scene, or from the other side of Jordan, it is not clear in the text. But it makes no real matter to the story. Whatever about that, after that encounter on which I have preached for the last two messages, we come now to this next scene in the words of verse 4. Gideon, having stilled the troublesome hearts of these Ephraimite brothers, we see him again in unyielding pursuit, in verse 4, of these remaining enemies of God. By the inspiration of the Spirit of our God, several very instructive details are provided to us within the small compass of just a few words in verse 4. Look with me again at verse 4 and take note of those lessons. And Gideon came to Jordan and passed over. He and the 300 men that were with him faint, yet pursuing them. Look with me, as I said again, and take note. First, take note that Gideon came to Jordan and passed over. Oh, don't miss that. Gideon came to Jordan in his pursuit of the enemies of God. He came up to the river and passed over. 
Oh, just here, just here, this Jordan is yet another obstacle to the path of his full obedience. God had said, I will give you the Midianites. But at this moment, 15,000 of them are on the other side of Jordan and Gideon is on this side. And so this Jordan stands as yet another obstacle. Already, he has been delayed by the folly of carnal-minded brethren in verse 1 through 3. And now, fatigued with weariness, of which I'll say more later, he encounters an enemy who has put a river between their forces and his. No doubt, part of the reason of their quick defeat, as we shall see later, is because of the false security they imagined that this obstacle would provide. <laughs> Surely, thought they, Gideon's men will never ford this river and march on without rest. They just couldn't do it, they thought. Surely they will delay and yield to the fatigue of their bodies, which the scripture later will tell us was very real. Surely, they thought, surely there will be no sight of them now for quite a while. <laughs> because we have put a river between us. Yet another obstacle. But what does our text tell us? Oh, blessed be God. What does our text tell us? Indeed, Gideon came to Jordan, this text says, came to Jordan, and the way it reads in the Hebrew, and I'll not get involved in the technicalities of that, there are plenty of scholars, and you can read them as I am, that will help you to understand that the wording of that was Gideon came to Jordan and passed over as if under a full head of steam, without any delay, he passed over. <laughs> oh, blessed be God, when a man is energized with the singularity of purpose to honor God and do his bidding, all other considerations ceased to hold back his power. He simply can't be stopped. <laughs> oh, what a blessed word. We read over it in the beginning. And if we don't slow down and look, we'll miss it. Gideon came to Jordan and passed over. <laughs> Do you get it? Yet another obstacle. But he is not even deterred. 
he passed over. Oh yes, oh yes. I said to you that a man that is energized by the singularity of purpose to honor God and do his bidding will cause all other considerations to cease to hold back his powers. But conversely, may I not also say that those of weak convictions, James chapter 1 and verse 8, double-minded, half-hearted, find every minor hindrance to be a grounds to throw off their duties and slumber in languid inactivity. Those that are of weak convictions find every reason to throw off duty. Oh, how that blessed apostle would bring our puny excuses to a halt and stop our mouths in humiliation. Were he here today to testify to us as he did testify to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and he said in verse 23, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths more oft. Of the Jews five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once with a stone. Thrice I suffered shipwreck a night and a day. Have I been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of an old countryman, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. And besides those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches, Oh, what a testimony is this. What a testimony that lays to rest our puny excuses. Gideon came to Jordan and crossed over. Been marching now, best I can tabulate. He's been working and laboring, wandering and travailing and marching now for Two days and two nights at least, at least that much. But he came to Jordan and the Holy Spirit says instantly and he crossed over. Crossed over. Oh, but if you discount the testimony of that blessed apostle, if his was not a to be a model for saints, then surely you would not discount the testimony of our Lord Himself. Oh, how often in the sacred record is He seen to deny Himself. Even the essentials that are vital to life. In John chapter 4, you'll remember, John chapter 4, His own disciples became 
concerned because of his denial of his body. And they came to him in verse 31 with this entreaty. They said, Master, eat! To which he replied in verse 32, I have meat to eat that you know not of. My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. That's what Gideon wanted. That's what Gideon had on his mind. That's what came before his eyes when he marched up and approached that water body, that river of Jordan. He said, I need to finish the work that the Father gave me. And the Holy Spirit said, he crossed over. He passed over. Oh, how like our Lord is Gideon here in this text. Not every little trivial, trite thing stopped him. He went forward. But now, here again in verse 4 is yet another little kernel a blessedness for us. And Gideon came to Jordan and passed over. He and the 300 men that were with him. <laughs> oh, here's another little kernel of blessedness for us. When we see the scene open in verse 4, he had 300 men. Oh, way back yonder, way back yonder in chapter 6 and verse 6, he had 300 men. On that dark night on which Luke so eloquently preached to us some time ago, on that dark night of marching, Gideon had 300 men. Standing in the glow of 300 torches and under the peal of 300 trumpets, Gideon had 300 men. While God's miraculous deliverance played out before their very eyes, Gideon had 300 men. And now, on this day of hot pursuit after God's fleeing enemies, Gideon still has 300 men. <laughs> oh, if he'd done a roll call there that day, they would have found in the words of our Lord in John 6, 39, and this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing. And in John 18 and verse 9, that the saying might be fulfilled which he spoke of them which thou gavest me, have I lost none, oh, Blessed be God of these whose hearts are committed to going on to know the Lord. Hosea 6 and verse 3. Of these whose hearts are committed to going on to know the Lord. 
None shall be lost. There's 300 of them. Just like there was over there by the Jordan. 300 of them. Oh, listen to me now. Of those whose hearts are committed to going on to know the Lord, none shall be lost. None shall faint. None shall be left behind. When the roll is called up yonder, hallelujah, I'll be there. They'll all be there. Hallelujah. Sometimes the long night's marches bring fatigue. And as we shall soon see, sometimes hunger will blight our journey with pains and sorrows aplenty. Sometimes the cost of enrollment in this army seems more than these mortal frames can pay. But oh, listen to me, not one shall be lost or left on the wayside. But will cross over Jordan. Whoa, <laughs> James Black. <laughs> In 1893 wrote these words. Let us labor for the master from the dawn till setting sun. Let us talk of all his wondrous love and care. And when all of life is over and our work on earth is done. And the roll is called up yonder. I'll be there. Oh, hallelujah. 300 men. Oh, don't let that escape you. Get in cross Jordan with 300 men. He hadn't lost a soul. But now let me come to these final words in our text and find in them a sweet cordial of consolation to our souls. Faint, yet pursuing them. Hebrew scholars, Kyle and DeLeach, for example, translated these words, exhausted with pursuing. Hmm. Exhausted with pursuing. A hundred and twenty thousand Midianites had fallen in one night, yet fifteen thousand still remained. And by the way, that was exactly fifty times as men as many as Gideon had. Fifty times Gideon's three hundred. Fifteen thousand yet remain and Gideon's company deny themselves even the most basic needs for life in order to pursue. And the Hebrew word means to run, to chase down. In order to the full knowledge of our Lord's intent in this text, I would ask and hope to answer 
two questions. Number one, why were they faint? The Hebrew word literally means to languish in thirst and weariness. Why were they faint? Describe that way in verse 4. I will suggest two answers from our record. First of all, they were faint because of the long battle. They were faint because of the battle. All night. All day. All the day before that. And the night before that. All of that night that they marched that Luke preached about. Oh, it's been a long trial. That's where we usually fail, isn't it? It's when the battle, it's not so much when the battle is intense, it's when the battle is long. Why were they faint? Oh, because it's been a long battle. There's been no letting up. Sometimes, sometimes in the battles, the days turn into nights, and then the nights turn into days again, and then the days turn back into nights, and on and on and on, seemingly without any break in the battle. These men had seen no reprieve since first they lapped the water by the river of God's divine choice. Did you hear me? I said they've seen no reprieve since that day over in chapter 6 when they left that water by the river of God's divine choice. They've seen no reprieve. They have been an unceasing state of engagement. Surely they have clutched to their bosoms that principle which the scripture says the night cometh when no man can work and they had surely embraced that principle. Their hearts have not flagged. Their loyalty has not waned. Their purposes have not diminished. Their labors will never be slowed in their work to honor God and crush his enemies. But all of this comes with a cost. A great cost. Faint. Oh, how many today have laid down their torches, cast away their trumpets, coasted off somewhere under some shady tree, and sought rest from such an unrelenting battle. Indeed, for some, the sheer fatigue is too much to ask. Oh, but listen, 
the wise man in the proverb said this, chapter 6 and verse 6. Go to the ant, thou slugger, consider her ways and be wise, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer and gathereth her food in the harvest. How long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? When wilt thou arise out of sleep? Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall thy poverty come as one that travaileth, and thy want as an armed man. No time for that. Must march on, but it comes with a cost. What's the cost? Fatigue. Faint. Oh, could I just plead with you? Could I just plead with you, my sainted friend, in the words of Second Timothy 2 and verse 3, endure hardness as a good soldier. In the words of 1 Corinthians 15 and 58, be he steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, even when your knees are weak. Your heart is faint and your mind is fogged by fatigue. March on. <clears throat> Blessed John Hill in a funeral sermon in 1744, and I extracted this out of the new book that's coming out next. In a funeral sermon in 1744, John Hill said this, To make heaven sweet at last, to make heaven sweet at last, our life is little more than a succession of disappointments. Oh, listen, from wilderness to wilderness, we're going till we get to Canaan. Believer, thou mayest change thy sorrows and afflictions often as thou art passing through Baca's veil. But thou never wholly restest from them. Every new state, circumstance, and condition in life has its cross. Some labor and travail will attend it. God will have those have thee taste the fruit of Adam's sin, though as united to Christ thou hast been perfectly freed from his curse. He will have you taste his sin even after he's cured you from his curse. Every new state he says, every new circumstance has its cross. Our life is little more than a succession of disappointments. Oh, only our God knows how long your battle will be. But this I can assure you, he will not exact from us more than his grace 
will enable us to pay. James M. Gray. Some of you historians may recognize the name. He was at one time the dean of Moody Bible Institute. James M. Gray, sometime in the late 1800s, wrote these words. Listen to it. What a glorious message and a poem. He sat by a furnace of sevenfold heat as he watched by the precious ore. And closer he bent with a searching gaze as he heated it more and more. He knew he had ore that could stand the test and he wanted the finest of gold to mold as a, mold as a crown for the king to wear set with gems of price untold. So he laid our gold in the burning fire Though he fain, though we fain would have said him nay. And he watched the dross that we had not seen as it melted and passed away. And the gold grew brighter and yet more bright. But our eyes were so dim with tears. We saw by the fire and not the master's hand and questioned with anxious fears. Yet our gold shone out with a richer glow as it mirrored a form above that bent o'er the fire, though unseen by us, with looks of ineffable love. Can we think that it pleases his heart to cause us a moment's pain? Oh, no. But he saw through the present loss the bliss of eternal gain. So he waited there with a watchful eye, with a love that is strong and sure. And his goal did not suffer a whit more heat than was needed to make it pure. Why were they faint? The battle. They were faint because of the battle. I'll give you this and I'll close. My second answer to the first question, why were they faint? I said they were faint because of the battle. They were faint because of the brethren. They were faint because of the brethren. Oh, yes. (laughs) There is a fatigue that's the result of physical testing. We'll find later in this story, Gideon and his men had been sleepless now for a very long time and not only that they hadn't had anything to eat they were hungry and yes there's fatigue that's a result of physical testing but oh my beloved there's a fatigue that builds within 
from the drain of energy caused by the heaviness of heart. And that is all too often brought on by brethren. Gideon's first heartache from his own brethren, you'll remember, was way back there in chapter 6. When those what are called men of the city arose and found their precious idol destroyed. And in verse 30 of that chapter, they wanted nothing less than that he might die. Their words, that he might die. And now, here in chapter 8, they've attacked him again. And come against him. Verse 1 says, to chide him sharply. And drive him, if they could, from off their shores. All the pain that brethren sometimes inflict on brethren. No wonder our blessed hero here is faint. Oh, the wounds of a friend. How great is the pain they inflict. The wounds of a friend. I asked two questions to try to exhaust exhaust these verses. The first is, why were they faint? They were faint because of the battle. They were faint because of brethren. But then there's a second question. (laughs) What a glorious question it is. Why were they still pursuing? (laughs) Amen. Why were they still pursuing? I can understand why they were faint. (laughs) But why were they still pursuing? Very quickly, let me do it. Let me finish. Let me give you the two answers. Number one, the job was not yet done. It really is just that simple. The job was not done. Yes, some 120,000 of them are dead. Strewn out like slaughtered animals in the valley of Jezreel. 120,000 of them. And yes, it is unlikely most historians And commentators agree. It is unlikely at this point that any threat may return from Midianite origin. Certainly not within Gideon's lifetime. But the job is not yet done. 15,000 more have slipped through the net and as enemies of the Most High God, they cannot be allowed to remain. Trouble, they surely will be. Somewhere, someday. Gideon here is a type of our Lord. 
in his purposes to our sanctification. Oh, Song of Solomon 2 and 15. It's the little foxes that spoil the vine. They may be little foxes, but they are foxes still. And they will spoil the vine. You see, we have to root out every evil, purge out every stain, and make no room, in the words of Ephesians 4 and 21 and following, for the old man. That scripture says, If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man which is corrupt according to deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And oh, my dear brethren, this war will not cease. This war will not be over until you cross over and every Midianite in Canaan's land is dead. Until we put on that new garment, and are fully clothed in the righteousness of Christ in his presence, this war is not over. And there's no place to stop. Why were they pursuing? Because the job just wasn't finished. Secondly, because the promises of God were not yet fulfilled. <laughs> you see, over and over and over again in this study, we've heard this blessed angel say, from the very beginning, right through this whole narrative, we've heard this angel say, I will give you the Midianites. I will give you this host. I will give you. I will give you. I will give you. Over and over the promises have come. I will give you and Gideon here just hasn't received it all yet. Well I don't have the time this morning to go through the whole Bible and point out to you all that our God has promised to do. Much of it he's already done for us in this salvation experience. Much of it he is daily continuing to do. But oh, much, much indeed he has yet to do. You see, I have not seen nor ear heard, 1 Corinthians 2 and 9, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things that God is preparing for them. Oh, if you peruse the prophets of old, you'll glean from them. If you glean from the apostolic epistles, you'll learn. If you bathe in the vast ocean of imagery in that book of Revelation, you'll drown in a river of glorious expectation full of all that God has promised yet to do. It's just not over yet. Because 
it is that they are not yet fulfilled that we like Gideon must keep pursuing. Oh, why were they faint? <laughs> because of the battle. Because of the brethren. Why were they still pursuing? All oh, the promises. They just weren't finished. And the promises were not yet fulfilled. Oh, may God give us grace. I can't give it all. Turn with me in your hymn book, if you will, please. Number 783. Stand with me and sing 783. An old familiar song, I'm sure, to many of us. My faith looks up to thee, thou Lamb of Calvary, Savior divine. Now hear me while I pray, take all my guilt away. Oh, let me from this day be holy thine. May thy rich grace impart strength to my fainting heart. My zeal inspire. As thou hast died for me, oh, may my love to thee, pure, warm, and changeless be a living while life's dark maze I tread And grief around me spread Be thou my guide Bid darkness turn to day Wipe sorrows Tears away, no, let me ever stray from the When life transient dream, when death's cold solemn stream, Shall o'er me roll 
Blessed Savior, then in love, fear and distress remove. Oh, bear me safe above a ransom soul.